I'm never gonna work for someone who's gonna make me go counter to my values. I'm never gonna do something that I can't sleep at night. And if I need to, I, I need to have enough to walk away at any point in time if someone's gonna ask me to compromise my morals. So yeah, I'd encourage people to think about, take seriously what you just said, like live below your means, set some money aside so that if you are in that situation that you have to make a change, you have that ability to do so. Welcome to A Better Life with Brandon Turner. That is me, where world-class guests share their wisdom on building a better life. Join me as we explore the habits, the actions, and the beliefs that have guided their journey with the aim of helping you apply those lessons to your own. Brian Murray, welcome to the show, man. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Dude, every time we get to talk, it's like uh, coming home to a good friend. So you and I have had quite the adventure the last few years. Uh, I appreciate that. And I agree. Yeah, me too. Well, so Brian, I know you as obviously a partner of mine at Open Door Capital. I know you as a real estate investor, one of the greatest real estate investors of all time before that. And even while we built this massive Open Door Capital, I know you as a best-selling author, one of the best-selling real estate authors in the world. Uh, I know you as an ultra marathon guy. I know you as a very deeply spiritual guy and not necessarily religious, but spiritual. And we can definitely dig into that if you want to later. But who, let's go back before all that. Who was Brian Murray? Well, first of all, thank you. You're, you're too kind. You know, I grew up in upstate New York in a, I guess, blue collar household, limited means, put myself through college, worked as an engineer, had a lot of changes in career direction. I started off as an engineer, then I went into the Peace Corps for a couple of years. Uh, I went to business school, worked as a management consultant, worked at an internet startup, <laughs> did some consulting of my own. Then I started to teach and you know, took like, all those zigzags and eventually ended up with real estate. So <laughs> I, I wanna go yeah. Peace Corps. Like I've never actually yeah. known anybody who's, and we've never talked about this. What is the Peace Corps? What did you do in the Peace Corps? I've heard the name obviously, and. I know people travel and do good, but what is that and how'd you do? Yeah, so the Peace Corps, it's an organization as part of the US government and they send volunteers into developing countries around the world that need some type of assistance. I was working as an engineer. I'd always wanted to live abroad, started off applying to jobs like international positions. I didn't have any luck with that. And I was taking night classes at the time and there was a Peace Corps recruiting table there. Mm on campus and I applied and, and off I went. I actually worked in an environmental education program in the Dominican Republic. It was one of the most meaningful experiences of my life. Really opened my eyes to a lot of things. I had not traveled very much up to that point in my life. So going to live in the Dominican Republic for a couple of years and living in some very primitive conditions and getting to know the people there, I was really eye-opening. Yeah, that's cool. So now I want to ask a kind of a question based on the zigzagging you just mentioned. I mean, I know yeah. you've had quite a lot of jobs. There are people listening to the show right now who maybe are feel like they're in that right now. They can't find their thing. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they're mid thirties and they've jumped from thing to thing to thing 10 times, had all these jobs. What is your advice to those people? Uh, they feel like they're just not making any progress in any one thing in their life. My advice is to not be hard on yourself. When I was working as a teacher, one of my responsibilities was to be uh, an advisor for the students. And the students would come in and they would be full of stress. A lot of it was, 
I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I want to study. I'm afraid I'm going to get it wrong. Oh my God, that'll, my life will be over if I make the wrong decision. <laughs> and I would look at them and I'd say, hey, I'm in my 40s and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do. And then they'd feel a lot better. And yeah. I, you know, and we'd, we'd talk about that. And I think that eventually after I changed directions enough time, I began to know myself and I realized that I like challenges. I like learning about new things. I like growing. And so once I achieved a certain level within where I was working, I oftentimes would become restless and decide it was time to make a change. And that, that was a pattern that I followed and I just decided to accept it and be okay with it instead of beating myself up with it. Say, hey, why didn't I stick with that? Why didn't I keep going? And I think that's okay. You know, I think that we're not all those people who are in third grade already know what the rest of our life holds yeah. for us. They were going to follow that one specific profession. I think that person is the exception. And that's wonderful if the people have that kind of clarity at a young age. But most of us don't. And we need to try different things. And hopefully at some place along that path, you maybe find that thing that you want to do forever but maybe not. And that's okay. Yeah. That's, it's good to hear that. Cause yeah, I think a lot of people feel like there's some destination they got to get to, especially young people. They got to get to the yeah. spot. They got to be there and then they can start their life. Like I can't start my life till then. But it reminds me a little bit of like the road to Hana, you know, in Maui, there's the road to Hana and Hana is a town on the other side of Maui, but the road to get there is about a five hour drive. If you do it right, there's hundreds of turns. I think there's like 700 turns and there's like hundreds of bridges and one lane stuff. It's just unbelievably beautiful. And when you get to Hana, you get there and you realize Hana is nothing. It's like a tiny little town with like one gas station and a grocery store and a couple of food trucks. And people will go there and they'll drive instead of five hours, they'll get there in two hours. They'll just speed through and they get there and they're like, all right, now we're in Hana. Now what? The destination they think was the goal. When in reality, the road, the road, that's why we don't say, hey, like you should go to Hana. It's you should do the road to Hana. And so like the destination is not the goal. The journey is the goal. And I think that in life, yeah, we look at this having a career, having a million dollars or having whatever the thing is, we put that as like, that's the goal. Uh, and it makes us enjoy life a lot less. Yeah, I completely agree. I love that analogy. You know, and that's an awareness that I have now that I wish I had had when I was younger. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. You know, we can easily get wrapped up in spending our entire lives both thinking about what we're going to do in the future and where we're headed, but also the past that we carry around and, yeah. and ruminate on. And then we're not living, right? And so that's one of the things that I'm most focused on right now and I think is really important for all of us is to be present, be yeah. there in the moment. And, yeah. and if you don't, life slips right by. Yeah. Well, so I'll give you a little leading question just because I know a little bit of your story. I know you worked at a startup that may have been a little bit toxic at times. Can you talk about that? phase of your life? What made it difficult to work there? What did you learn? What did you get out of it? Yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, I did attend business school. And when I came out of business school, I started working at a large management consulting firm, did that for a few years, but then it was the internet boom. So for those listeners who are old enough to remember that internet stocks were just taking off the stock market was rocketing and it was all around the growth of the internet. And so I felt like, hey, I'm, I'm missing out. Like I need to be part of this. And so I took a job with an internet startup, got stock options. And I thought, hey, this is going to make me wealthy. This is going to be wonderful. And, you know, I was very focused on extrinsic goals, like th things that I was thinking about making money. I was very focused on things other than sort of, I think I, I still had at that age, this belief that things outside of me could make me happy. Mm. And that's a fallacy. 
right? And I hadn't figured that out yet. And this was an opportunity to go into a company. It was a really hot company. I think I was probably around employee 30 something. It was, it was a fairly small company. And I was there for five years and it was just an absolute mad dash the whole time. It was very toxic. It was extremely aggressive. When I got there, most of the founders were still there, but over time they picked one another off or the board members picked them off and kind of squeezed them out. And I eventually rose to vice president there and there were, there were goals set quarterly for the vice presidents. And if you didn't hit your goals, you were gone. Yeah. And I remember one time there were five quarters in a row where a VP lost their job because they didn't hit their goals. And that's the way it was. It was very, very aggressive, a lot of infighting, a lot of politics. It was carefully designed to keep people in the office for really, really long hours and in an unhealthy way. Uh, there were kegs on tap. There was a big snack room full of all types of food, yeah. freezer chest full of frozen food. They'd have dinner brought in from local restaurants every night, usually would bring it in between eight and nine o'clock at oh, night. Oh, so you have to so stay. you have to stay in order to get the food. It's genius. We're yeah. doing it at Opener Capital. <laughs> Let Walker know. Yeah. And, and so, you know, everything was set up in a way where you found yourself never leaving the workplace. Yeah. And over, over those years that I was there, I began to realize I had entirely lost touch with friends. Like I even lost touch with family and work became everything. And I, I would routinely work a hundred hour work weeks. And after I'd been there for nearly five years, one day I had terrible, terrible chest pains and I, I had trouble breathing and I was rushed to the hospital. At that point in time, I had actually gained 50 pounds since I started that job. I was very unhealthy and I was not getting any exercise. It was just all stress and all bad food, drinking. Yeah. Nothing was good about it. They ran a whole bunch of tests on me and I met with a doctor and the doctor was studying all my results and he he seemed really concerned and I was really anxious. I, I knew something was wrong because I was still in my 30s and and I shouldn't be having these chest pains and I was scared and he said, well, first of all, you're going to be okay. And I was relieved, but then I could tell he had more to say and he was like, but you need to make some changes and if you don't, you'll be dead by the time you're 40. Mm. And that just really shook me. I had two little kids at home that I knew were counting on me. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is just crazy. What am I doing? You know, here I am literally killing myself trying to make this money. What good is that gonna do if I'm dead, right? I still had debts I hadn't paid off. So I knew it was time for a change. And so I went in to see my CEO that next week and I was like, I'm, I'm done. Like, I can't do this anymore. It's literally killing me. He tried to convince me to stay. He, I, I told him, hey, I've, I've got this property up in the Adirondacks. I'm building a log home. I'm just going to get out of here. I'm just going to go take some time off. And he's like, well, you can, you can work from your, your log home in the Adirondacks and we'll fly you back and forth. You can just come down to the Washington DC area where, where I was working in Northern Virginia. And he's like, you could just work here for like two or three days a week and we'll fly you back and forth. He did everything they could to try to keep me there. And I, I agreed to stay through the end of the, end of the year and they agreed to vest my re remaining options in exchange. And so I worked through the end of that year. And then about a year or two later, the company sold and I got, I think it was around 13 or $14,000 for my options. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. Oh. So all that like 
to the brink of death, yeah. you know, and, and all those sacrifices, lost relationships, everything. The marriage I was in at that time ended soon afterward and all for what? Wow. What did you do with all the money? $13,000. Yeah. What, what did I you do with all the money? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And acids. <laughs> you know, it, I, I heard a quote recently that said, if you don't have the courage to build your own dreams, you'll spend your life building somebody else's. Yeah. And most people in the world will spend their entire life as an employee at a job they do not like making the owner of that company a significant amount of money because they lack the courage to do what you did, which was to say, this is the line in the sand. I've crossed it. Like, uh, it's too much. I can't, I, 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 I'm no longer willing to live that kind of life anymore. What's your advice for people today that are in a job they do not like? It's toxic, but they don't have a ton of money. They can't just go and leave and go do something else. Like they're fearful about not having enough money or savings yeah. or what the next thing would be. I completely agree. I think that you can be very happy in your job if you can find purpose and meaning in mm -hmm. what you're doing. So even if you're not necessarily doing it for yourself or growing your own business, if you can find that, it makes all the difference. And a lot of people don't, actually take the time to step back and examine how what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis actually translates into something that's meaningful and substantial. And so the first thing I would do is sort of challenge them to say, hey, you know, let's walk through what you're actually doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Who are you serving and what purpose is it fulfilling? And find some meaning in what you're doing. And even in a job that you, know, you might have that dissatisfaction, you might start to look at it through a new lens and be, be a little bit happier. But if you don't, you know, I encourage people to make a change. Obviously, if you have responsibilities, you, you have some limitations on what you can do. You know, it's a worker's market right now. There's a lot of opportunities out yeah. there. I'd be hard pressed to find a situation, I think, where someone who's motivated enough and works hard enough at it can't find another opportunity for themselves in today's workplace. Yeah. So I think people question that they start to wonder well you know can i find a new job is, is anyone going to be willing to hire me and i think people sell themselves short so at least get out there and give it a try make that change and go for it yeah that's another really good reason why you know there's a lot of reasons i disagree with dave ramsey but the one thing that he nails so well is like if you live way below your means it gives you the flexibility to build a really good life for yourself. Meaning if you have a thousand dollar car payment and you have two of them because you have to have two BMWs or two Teslas and you got the house payment that was at the very max of what you could afford at that job that you get paid well, but you don't like it. Now you are kind of trapped in that life where you might not be able, if you're making 200K a year at a job you absolutely hate and you're spending $199,000 a year just to live, you can't just leave and go work at a job making 60K a year because you, you trapped it. Now the only job that you can get is something that pays 200 and there's a lot fewer of those jobs. So I think just a good reminder for people too is like when you live way below your means, it gives you the flexibility to have your dream life. And then once you find the career, like we'll get into real estate here in a second, that makes you good money and you enjoy and there's some purpose and enjoyment there. Now you can go have the things that you maybe didn't have earlier. So what's the line he always says is live now like no one else. So later on you can live like no one else. Yeah. And I think that's just, yeah, good reminder for people. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of times when people are out there getting that nicer car, getting the multiple cars, getting those large mm -hmm. homes, you know, they're operating from this belief that that's going to bring them happiness. Yeah. And so something's broken right there. Just the fact that if people, if everything that's coming into the household is immediately going out and it's being spent on luxuries and things like that, like there's questions that need to be asked, yeah. right? So that person should really look inside and start to 
make sure that their motivations for that are, are in the right place. There's a lot to be said for a minim more minimalistic lifestyle. There's a lot of happiness and advantages that you can have if you can genuinely be grateful with less. And it does open up those options. It gives you that freedom. I remember when I was in business school, there was a, I took an entrepreneurship class and an, an entrepreneur came in and they, they, their one biggest piece of advice was to do exactly what you suggest, Brandon, which is live well below your means. And instead of buying you know, that nice car or that larger house set aside what he called FU money, yeah. which is like, I'm never going to work for someone who's going to make me go counter to my values. I'm never going to do something that I can't sleep at night. And if I need to, I, I need to have enough to walk away at any point in time if someone's going to ask me to compromise my morals. Yeah. So yeah, I'd encourage people to think about, take seriously what you just said, like live below your means, set some money aside so that if you are in that situation that you have to make a change, you have that ability to do so. Yeah. And you know, I'm not, I'm not perfect at this, but like, in fact, I'm far, far from purpose, perfect as Alex will make fun of me for. I buy a lot of, a lot of crap I don't need. You know, like I've got two Teslas, I've got two multi-million dollar houses. Uh, I've got just, I mean, I'm, any toy I want, I'm like, I'm going to buy that thing. Right? I just got the new Oculus three. But when people see that, then they're like, well, Brandon's okay doing it. He, he can do it. But the difference is I buy all that stuff on book royalties, like all of my, like book royalties and other passive income sources that I have some real estate, some book royalties. But so that would be my encouraging people. You can have a incredible, stupid life. And by the way, none of that makes me any happier. I'm just as happy now yeah. as I was when I was living with Heather in an alleyway in a 400 square foot house. But I like having fun stuff. I like the Oculus. It's fun to play stupid video games. But make your passive income pay for that. Like I didn't buy any of that until I had the real estate income coming in. And then when the book royalties came in and then other business investments that I have and businesses I own, all of a sudden that can pay for it. So yeah, be careful of who you watch online. Yeah. Uh, this is just for people listening. To who you watch online is like, well, I want to keep up with them. I want to do what they're doing. Well, they put in 20 years of work sometimes right. or 30, 40 years of work. Right. right I know you and your history well enough to know that you paid your dues for a long time <laughs> before you were in a position to do that. And yeah. now now you can treat yourself. Now you have more flexibility to do things like that. And so situations change, but I think there's a lot of people who maybe follow you now that see, hey, this is where Brandon is today, but maybe didn't see the decade of frugal living and scrimping and scrounging to kind of yeah. build your platform and get to where you are and where you could start to leverage that to make more money and have, then you've got the freedom to treat yourself here and there and those you love. Yeah, I see that as entirely different. You do have, you know, you've reached a point in your career and your personal life that have some more discretionary income. And so, yeah, it makes more sense in, in that situation than someone who's just getting started out or a little earlier in their career. I do dream about sometimes like I fantasize now about like what you've done, which is you bought a, like a ranch out mm -hmm. in like what North Carolina, yeah. like pared down simple. Like sometimes I'm like, what if I sold my Maui house and sold my house in Idaho and my cars and my trucks? And I'm like, what if I just sold it all? Went and bought like a hundred thousand dollar house somewhere, 200,000, but $500,000 house somewhere with some land. And I was like, what? The reason I fantasize about that is because just the the freedom that that brings like mm. right now, like just, just keeping track of car tab renewals is drives me absolutely nuts. Every single month I look at one of my cars. I'm like, Oh shoot, I got to go get that thing taken in. And I have assistants that help with it, but now I got to manage the assistant to get my car tabs done. And that's one example out of a thousand things that as you complicate life, there's a line in the Bible. I don't even know where it's at, but he's, it says, make every effort to live a quiet and simple life. And I've been reflecting on it lately. Like, I understand why there's wisdom in that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminds me of the book Walden by yes, Henry yeah. David Thoreau. So yep. that book made a huge impact on me. 
And it's very interesting because that book was written back in the 1800s, but there's so much in there that could have been written for today, yeah. right? He talks about the trappings of modern society and how you can get caught up in all the, you know, technology and all these other things. Yeah. I'm like, this guy was writing this like <laughs> in the woods back in like the mid 1800s. And, yeah. and so it's crazy just how much wisdom is in that book. But I haven't been there that long, but earlier this year, I did relocate to really beautiful part of uh, Western North Carolina. I'm up in the mountains and have a ranch there, have some horses and uh, I have no cell service, which is interesting. <laughs> but um, yeah, I did, you know, I did want to make things simpler and I don't mind. There's maybe a time in your life where you need to optimize all your time to be like, hey, what's the highest value I can do with yep. my time? I think there's some value in periodically doing some menial tasks and doing some hard work and making yourself uncomfortable yeah. and getting out there. And so, you know, I'm living on a ranch where there's a lot of work to do. Yeah. I have a tractor and I go out into a field and I'll pick rocks and I take care of the horses. And so I'm doing things that I can still have my intellectual pursuits. I can still spend time writing and, and, you know, I'm still obviously involved in open door capital and some of my other investments are still very active, but I've made a shift. You know, as there's, I'm at a point in my life where there's things that are very important to me, spirituality, as you mentioned, and personal development in that area. And I want to be a happy, healthy person. I want to live a long life where I can do the most good for the most amount of people. And that's only possible if you take care of yourself. I also, like over the last few years, I've become a lot more sensitive to the impact of certain things on my life. So for example, a social media, like I think social media can suck people in. It's probably one of the most pernicious like consumers of our time. It's a, it's a huge distraction. It's not healthy. It causes terrible comparison constantly, it causes people to question themselves. And so I have recognized that, hey, that, that pulls me in, I need to put set pretty strict limits on something like social media. Same thing with, yeah. with television. You know, it wasn't that long ago that I would binge watch stuff on Netflix and spend countless hours. And I don't have a TV anymore. Like in my, in my ranch, I have no television and it's made a huge difference. I spend that time reading, doing other things that are more positive and, and, and healthier. Yeah, so, and I don't, I don't think a location can make you happy. I think a lot of people are like, Hey, if I get, if I live in a certain spot or I, I have a certain house or I can be in a certain place, I'm, then I'm going to be happy. I think that, you know, happiness has to come from within, but I do feel like you can make some changes in your environment that will make it easier for you to maintain your routine and do some of the things that, that you want to do. And I think some of those principles are like in the ato in atomic habits where you're yeah. like, you try to make things that might be a bigger obstacle that you need to overcome just easier because they're situated in a place that makes them convenient or, you know, doing the things that are wrong. You have to, I can't get food delivered to my house anymore. Yeah. Right. And I, I used to like constantly get on and I, whatever I craved, I could have it right there by living in a, in a more rural location. If I want to have restaurant food, I got to get in my car and I got to drive a long ways. And, yeah. and a lot of times I don't want to do that. So it's an impediment to that. So I tend to eat healthier. Yeah. So, so there's benefits to that, but it's, it's not the, you know, it's not the solution to everything either. Let's go back to your story. You know, you became a teacher. What were you teaching, by the way, high school or something? I taught at a local community college. Okay. I taught marketing and entrepreneurship. Okay. So you went from that and then somehow shifted from that into real estate. I'd love to talk that transition. Yeah. Uh, how did you, you know, what did you start buying? Why did you choose real estate in general? And uh, let's, mm -hmm. let's start there. Sure. So when things fell apart at that tech firm and I had the health issues, I 
decided I was going to teach. Like that was my next thing. I was like, well, you know, I knew the teaching had a reasonable schedule. I wouldn't be working, you know, 18 hour days. And you're flush and with $13,000 of cash. So. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I had all the money I needed. So <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually did start off. The first thing I did is I started substitute teaching at a local high school. Okay. That did not go super yeah. well. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, you know how it is when you're in high school or middle school and you have a substitute teacher. It's yeah. like, you're going to figure out a way to torment that yes. teacher. And everybody would, you know, sit in someone else's chair and you assume their name for the class and like <laughs> whatever it is, whatever little games. And I've realized well, I'm, I'm just a disciplinarian here. But then when a community college teaching position opened up, I knew I'd be working with more mature people and more diverse people. And, and that was very appealing. But the problem with that, not that it was, you know, since I was flush with all that cash, maybe it wasn't <laughs> such a big problem. But the problem with that was I was making 30 some odd thousand dollars a year after my corporate position had, you know, been close to $200,000 a year or something. And I, oh. I had a very large bonus. And so most of my income was gone. And so as I began to teach, I realized that my savings that I had accumulated were starting to dwindle. And it was very hard to make ends meet as a teacher on that salary. And so I decided, hey, I, I'd like to invest in, in real estate. I thought that sounded great. Liked watching it on HGTV. Yeah, I was like, yeah, HGTV that could be, that. Yeah. you know, it was like, I just thought that seemed like the greatest thing. And, and when I had moved away from Northern Virginia, I kept my house and rented it out. So I had, you know, that, that had gone pretty well. And I was like, you know, what can I do? So I started looking at properties and I, I did what most people who wanted to get into real estate do. I was looking at duplexes, triplexes, things like that. And I wasn't really finding the types of returns that I had hoped for. And I kept learning more and more and I was reading books and I was underwriting and I was talking to brokers and they began to show me different properties. And I remember there was one property that there was a seller financing component that a broker brought me and I had never even realized that was a thing. And, uh, and that property didn't work out. But now I started, now my mind was really working like, oh, I could be creative. I can. And then an office building came along I was a 50,000 square foot office building. It's a huge property, something I would have never dreamed that I could even possibly afford to buy. It was losing money. It was an older building and the owners had sold off their entire portfolio in upstate New York, except for this one property they were desperate to sell. I figured out that I could assume their mortgage. And so I decided to go ahead and put it under contract contingent on approval of the mortgage assumption which was a huge leap of faith because I had to front all the money for all the tests and everything for, for due diligence. But in the end, I was able to assume the mortgage and I cashed in my retirement savings, which is not an approach that I'm recommending to listeners, but I, I started to feel like this was my chance. And so I cashed in my retirement savings and I think I needed about another 80, $85,000 to get it closed on top of the mortgage assumption. Um, and that was my first investment property. Um, part of the reason that I felt like this was the right move was because it took a really long time to assume the mortgage. And so I was watching what was going on at the property. There was a full-time employee who I could almost never find when I visited the property. I eventually realized he had a, a wood shop in the building out and back and he would, he would 
do woodworking <laughs> projects while he was at work. There we go. And, you know, he decorated it with all his pinups. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, you know, I'd go and see, hey, the, the entire yard, everything's strewn with trash. No one's touched the landscaping in months. And he's out, you know, working on building a chair for himself. Yeah. And so then I'd see, hey, when it got really hot outside and the air condition was cranking, all the windows were open and people were letting the hot air in to help them so, like, to not be so cold. And when we got into the cold season and it got really cold, boiler would be on too high and all the tenants would open their windows yeah. to let the heat outside. One thing after another, I just realized it's just not being run properly at all. And so on the first day that I had the property, I fired that worker and it immediately was cash flow positive just with that one move. Mm. You know, I just started to make all the changes that were necessary and I found out that none of the local brokers were ever showing people office space there because the prior owners refused to pay. And so as soon as they met me and realized it was local owners, they began to bring tenants in and show them the space. And over time, slowly filled it up. And it took a couple of years, but eventually I found a second property that I got seller financing on. And I still couldn't get a bank to lend to me at that point, but I got seller financing. Same thing, the building was half full. I filled it up. By this time, the lending markets were unthawing a bit. And I did a refi on both those properties and pulled out enough cash to buy three more, including my first multifamily. Wow. It was a 30 unit. And so from that point on, it was kind of off to the races. I love it, man. I, I want to dig into some of the, the way you grew then to, you know, where you're at, we're at today is, I don't know, I think we're over 10,000, maybe even the 12, if you count all the self storage. But first, one thing we do on this show is that we dedicate hundred percent of the ad revenue for this show toward a charity of the guests choosing. Mm -hmm. So the question is what breaks your heart or where should we send the money from this episode? So I'm a big supporter of a not-for-profit that my daughter started, which is called Friendly Fields Farm. And Friendly Fields Farm is a farm animal sanctuary where they take animals that are abused or neglected and give them a healthy home. And it was very meaningful to me because I grew up in a household where there was not a lot of love and affection and I would seek that out in animals. And so like we would always have animals like that my parents got usually to raise and I would become attached to those animals. And my father didn't really like that. And he would try to like do things to prevent that. But mm -hmm. it was it was kind of a, an escape that I had and some closeness that I felt was with, with these animals. And so I still remember that. And I've been trying to personally reconnect with animals. I think it's they can teach us a lot. And I think animals are very healing. And so I'm really proud of what my daughter has done. She has over 100 animals and uh, she runs this large operation now that's a, a rescue operation a sanctuary and i'm super proud of her and so that would be that's awesome. the cause very cool All right, so here are three truths that I've learned about business. Number one, most companies are wildly inefficient. Number two, that inefficiency is caused by not so great leadership. Number three, this is the hard part, your company can only keep growing if you, the leader, keep growing into a higher version of yourself. And that is why if you're a CEO or high-level leader, I strongly recommend you connect with my friend, Peter Awood of Whitestone Coaching. Peter built multiple seven-figure businesses. He's a good friend of mine. He was guest number 18 on this very show. And business-wise, he can help you become more efficient, more profitable, all while spending more time in your own unique zone of genius. And life-wise, he can also help you enjoy more stability, more freedom, get your priorities straight uh, when it comes to health and connecting with your kids and your spouse and your friends. Look, 
Personalized coaching is the best shortcut to success that I found, period, in any and all areas of my life. So here's how to connect with Peter and Whitestone Coaching. Text the word better life, all one word, to 55444. Again, you can connect with Peter and start becoming a legendary leader today by texting better life, one word, to 55444. All right, Brian. So you went from that, you got that 30 unit multifamily office, and now you got multifamily. What did you, did you find that you stopped doing office after that point? Did you go all into multifamily? Were you doing a little of both? Where was kind of your asset loyalty at during that time? Yeah, so once I got that 30 unit, I soon after that picked up a 70 unit and I was continuing to buy commercial properties at the same time. So I was buying office, retail, and for probably another five to six years, I bought both. But during that time, I started to realize that I was more comfortable with the multifamily. I thought that was a better investment to me, it was lower risk. You know, I had various occasions where a commercial building might lose its largest tenant and would overnight lose half its income. And with multifamily, I just felt like it was more controllable. Like I felt like I had a better risk profile and, and could average better returns if I focused in that area. And so I began to shift more and more to multifamily. And after a decade, I began to slowly sell off some of the especially the smaller commercial properties and even some of the smaller multifamily as I started to do syndications and invest passively as well myself. When you made the choice to get into real estate investing, how long did it take you to become a millionaire from real estate? It was probably within three to four years, there was enough equity that if I did a full exit, I could clear it a million dollars. Do you think that's still possible today for people? Yes, I definitely do. I think that you have to put in a lot of work to do it. You know, I think that you have to find the right deals and that's not easy. In order to find the right deal, you've got to look at a ton of deals. You've got to take a lot of no's and you've got to find the deal and you've got to pour yourself into it. One of the ironies was that I did this to make more money, but as I grew my real estate company, I realized that I couldn't take money out of my real estate company. Yeah. And so what I did is I, I just lived with lower costs and lower expenses. I was careful about the money I spent. And I did that for a really, really long time. And so I didn't have to take any money out of my real estate. Very few people who invest in real estate are willing to put every dime back into the real estate. And so it's kind of like siphoning off the gas from your car, right? As I wrote about in my book, it's kind of like your rocket fuel, right? And you're siphoning that off. And so I didn't do that. And I I could see so clearly that every dollar that got reinvested back into my business would be worth 10, 20, 50 in five years or 10 years. It was just so clear to me that I just couldn't bring myself to like siphon all that money off like most people do. And so that sacrifice and on the financial front really reaped dividends later on. If you were to look at the growth of the equity in my portfolio, it's not linear, it's logarithmic. It really kicked in. It took a full decade, maybe 12 years for it to really take off. And then, you know, it started growing like a lot. Yeah, that's cool, man. All right. So at some point, I'm going to, I'm going to tell a bit of your story here. Mm -hmm. You just kept buying real estate, kept growing in wealth. At some point you wrote a book called crushing it in apartments and commercial real estate. Am I saying that name totally right? Yeah. Okay. I never know. I don't want to mix up apartments (laughs) and commercial or commercial apartments, but crushing it in apartments and commercial real estate. Yeah. How'd that book do? Why'd you write that? First of all, how did it do? And uh, tell us a little bit about that book. I know you've got a lot of books now, but let's start with that one. 
So that book was a labor of love. Like I was probably seven or eight years into my real estate investing journey and things were really clicking. One year, I, my, my company got a national award. I got a national award. I started getting invited to do podcasts and people were taking notice of what was going on. I was ranked in the Inc. 5000 list of the fastest growing private companies five years in a row, which for that five-year period was the fastest growing real estate company in the state of New York. So people could see what was going on and I was getting a ton of requests for mentorship and just a lot of questions from people who were trying to get started, trying to learn from what I did. And I realized that I didn't have time to talk to all these people. Like I'd love to, and there were some people that I was mentoring, but I felt like writing a book would be a better way to do it. Cause I could capture everything I've learned and just put it out there and whoever needed help, like everything I have to offer is here in this book. Everything I've learned, my mistakes, everything I did wrong, you can look, read about it and then you don't have to make the same mistake. And I wasn't really thinking about making money. I had written a book uh, a number of years prior that was a complete failure, didn't make any money. And, and that wasn't a real estate book. Right? It was not a real estate book. It was a marketing book. And I realize now that I did it for all the wrong reasons. Mm. Like I wrote that book to make money. I wrote that book to establish my credibility, to get speaking engagements, to get a better job. And that's not a good reason to write a book. And I, I believe it comes through no matter how hard mm. you try not to as an author, like readers have an intuition they yeah. can tell like what always tell like this yeah. is this person trying to sell themselves yep. they're trying to sell something is trying to sell me something like it always seeps through and so what i think was special about crushing it is i didn't care i didn't care if it made a dime i didn't expect it to i just wanted to have something that captured everything i learned so that if someone wanted to know i'd be like here everything i know if you wanted me to mentor you read this book and it's like me mentoring you for like 10 hours yeah there are people um, who write books so that they can have a book and there are people who write books so that they can change somebody's life through that book. And yeah. I think you can tell the difference between the two books. Like, oh, I just wanted a business card and you know, it's a business card book versus like, you're like this book, if you read it, you will buy commercial real estate and apartments. Yeah. Yeah. And because I had written a book prior, I did have a literary agent and I did float a proposal by some publishers and, and nobody wanted to publish it. And my agent was just like, he said, I really like your writing. I think you've got something here. He's like, you should just self-publish. And so I self-published, but I did it in the best possible way. I got freelancers who worked in for the best publishing houses in the country, made it super professional, put it out there. And to my amazement, it just took off, started to sell. Like I went on a handful of podcasts to promote it, that's pretty much it. And it continues to sell, continues to sell today. I mean, it's, it's sold over a hundred thousand copies. And as far as I know, that's the best selling self-published real estate book of all yeah. time. So awesome. really proud of that. And that's around the time that you and I, I think met. Do you remember how we actually met? Did you pitch us to come on the podcast? Did I find you? Did I see your book? Do you remember? I don't remember. The first time I was on the Bigger Pockets podcast was in 2015. So it was pretty early on. I think it was in the I don't remember the episode number, but I think it was in the first two years of the podcast. Before, so before the book, right? That was before the book. But okay. but I remember when we spoke either before or after the interview, I, I told you about the plans. I think I told you and Josh yeah. that I was planning to write this book. And you guys were very, like, you encouraged me a lot to do it because you were like, hey, there's a need for a book like that. So I appreciated that, you know, that, that encouragement at, at a point in time where you've got a seed like that, that you're trying mm -hmm. to water, you're not sure. Um, and... Um, 
you actually made a comment that led me to the title of the book, which I remember you were like, man, you're just crushing it in this oh, commercial funny. real estate. And I'm like, <laughs> like I, I was like, funny. wow, there's my title. That's funny. Um, I'll take it. And then by the time the book came out, it took me a long time to write the book. It was, you know, one of the great things about not working with a publisher is you can take your time. And when I was motivated, I would buckle down and do it. And when I wasn't, I'd step away from it. And it took me years. Like it took me over two years to do that. And then I came back onto the podcast when the book launched. And so that was really helpful too. Yeah. Uh, I think you and Mindy hosted that oh, yeah. show. And yeah. yeah, so that was probably 2017, 2018. And then you invited me out to Maui and a year or two after that for a uh, mastermind. Yeah. Yeah. Was, I remember, I remember what so. I did to invite people to that mastermind. It was the very first Maui real estate mastermind that Tarl Yarber and I ever did. And uh, I went through the list of like the last like hundred people I interviewed on the podcast. And I was like, who would I want to hang out with? And I just like started like thinking this person would be cool. That person would be cool. And I remember, I still remember the day you were obviously on the list, but I remember emailing you or maybe texting. I think I emailed you. And I remember you saying like, like you were one of the later ones to come in. And I remember just thinking like, shoot, like Brian Murray's coming. I was so <laughs> impressed and blown away that you would come out to my little real estate get together. I remember just telling Tarl too, like, like we landed a whale. Like this <laughs> would be so good. <laughs> I, pre I appreciate yeah. that, but I was grateful for the invite and it was a really, really good group of people. Still yeah. is. Yeah. And then yeah. Open Door Capital was kind of birthed in the back of Ryan's van. Remember that? Yeah. Like, I mean, it was birthed over the whole weekend of us chatting, but there were several conversations where we were in what are these the little Tommy Bahama chairs in the yeah. back of Ryan's van because he had no seats back there. <laughs> and we're just like bumming around Maui. Yeah. You were like, yeah, I'm going to get into syndication. I think I'm going to kind of start raising capital and buying apartments. And I'm like, I'm going to do that too. Why don't we do it together? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was great. You know, I feel like there's times in your life where kind of the universe mm -hmm. has you collide and cross paths with people who are going to be impactful in your life. And, and that was definitely one of those times for me. Yeah. Well, you know, it reminds me, I, I use this metaphor all the time. I think I even just said it on a recent podcast, but I say like in Maui, like we go out and go paddle boarding with the whales every whale season. In fact, it's coming up here, whale season. We're very excited about it. And we paddle out there and we paddle for, you know, get, get up early, grab the boards, put them on the truck, drive to the beach, get in the water. The sun's just coming up, paddle out an hour, like constantly scanning the horizon where are the whales and then you see one and you kind of paddle way in front of it and like it takes you forever and then sometimes you miss it but almost every time i do it we get like an encounter with a whale like up close and personal right and the people on the beach are looking out there going mm, lucky like they're lucky they got out there with a whale and i'm like yes it's true the luck popped up just like you and i in the back of a van uh, some you know had cages on the windows which is just yeah. funny Brian's, uh, ryan's van is very interesting and we, <laughs> it's like got free candy paint on the outside not really but like yes that was like luck that you were doing the same thing i was but like you yeah. accepted an invitation that cost a good amount of money but we were cheap back then i think it was only five grand back then but it was like yeah. a good amount of money to put yourself in a room with other people to travel to pay the five or ten grand in travel costs like yeah we put ourselves in the water that day. Yeah. I think the universe puts opportunities in front of you, yeah. but you have to receive it. Yes. Yeah. Right. And so that's the thing. I think a lot of times people don't pay attention to the little messages that come their way, the yeah. opportunities, there's a crack of an opening. And if you don't receive it, you're yeah. not in a position to take advantage of that, then it's never going to materialize. Yeah. So the, you, you have to have both, right? Like, 
you do kind of make your own luck in, in some respects as well, because you, you have to have, you have to be a person who's in a position to say yes, yeah. and is going to listen to those messages that you're receiving and, and actually act on it. How did you know, and I'm not like, I'm not asking for compliments here in any way, but how did you know I was the right partner for you? Like, how does somebody listening know like, oh, I'm going to get into bed with that person like because it's a i mean it's a big commitment like we're in this thing now five years right yeah no that's a brilliant question because coming into maui my history with partnerships was terrible mm -hmm. like uh, what i had been exposed to at that tech company that i worked at <laughs> you know i saw and gotten to know so many entrepreneurs just in my business career and seen so many bad things i mean when you introduce money into any relationship and it just it's a, it has a weird dynamic, has weird control over people. Yep. You can never predict how money is going to make people act yeah. be. And I had been afraid to partner with anybody. Like it was not something I felt good about. I was nervous about that. And so, but I also reached a point where I, I recognized that, hey, it's it's a lonely path as an entrepreneur to do this all on your own. And especially when it when I realized that I made a decision, hey, I'm going to do syndications now there's a wider range of skill sets and abilities that really come into play to effectively do syndications. And so I had been thinking about hiring a team to put around me. And then when I talked to you, you were looking like you literally were doing the exact same thing that I like I was already like evaluating who to try to hire and, who to put, and you were half a step ahead because you already had Ryan. And there were so many coincidences there. And I really connected with Ryan, like when we started talking yeah. and and. I got very comfortable with him very quickly. And I think I relied very heavily on intuition. And I don't really think I consciously did that throughout my career, but certainly in the growth of my business, when I look back, I recognized that I very, very heavily listened to my intuition at times when maybe things on paper would have told me to go another way or do different things. And it's for the most part, that has worked out well for me. But I had just this overwhelming sense of that you and Ryan were very good people. You were kind people. You clearly cared about helping others and wanting to make a difference. And when you reflected back on prior work experience and what you liked and what you didn't and how you wanted to do things differently and you shared your vision for that, it was so consistent and in alignment with my own values and what I wanted to do that I had to like be open to that. Right. It was almost like just too many things lined up for me to say no. It was like this just seemed right. And I also had reached a point where I was willing to take chances and be like, doesn't work out, doesn't mm -hmm. work out, but it's never going to work out if you don't try. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, you never see the whales um, if you don't get in the water. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it didn't take very long. In fact, I was reflecting on this recently, but how easily it was for us to come up with the company values. Like there were no arguments. There was yeah, no like, there wasn't like a lot of back and forth. It was kind of like we, we put it out there and we all kind of stewed on it. We maybe tweaked it here and there with the language, but it was a testament to how perfectly aligned we were. And so everything lined up. The biggest thing was shared values, I think are really important. Yeah. And I think one thing that I recognized, but maybe didn't even give enough credit to was the complementary skill set. Mm -hmm. So like there were things that I brought in terms of real estate experience and my ability to serve as a key principal. And I had a lot of property management experience. I had a property management company that could do property management. Like there, there were all these things that I felt like, hey, I could bring my A game here. And it was almost a perfect puzzle matchup with what you brought. 
in terms of you're a genius with marketing and you had the platform that you were like really starting to build and you were more comfortable on the capital raising side and then and i had never even thought about doing that even though i was like this is something i'm gonna have to do but everything just kind of lined up and in too many ways to like it overcame let's just say it overcame all the hesitancies and my tendency to have trouble trusting people and maybe be reluctant to partner Um, and i'm glad i did because it just i think you know, in the end, when you partner like that, your goal is that whatever you give up, you want to more than make up in the end in terms of how you're going to walk out of that. And I, I feel like I hope and pray that in the end, when we both walk away, we look back and we're like, hey, I gave up this, and but I, I got so much more than I mm-hmm. would have if this partnership hadn't happened. And I feel pretty good that we're doing that for each other. And it's been a truly rewarding experience. So yeah, man. Grateful. 100%. So a couple of things I'll pull out there and, and kind of reiterate and add some thoughts to. Number one, yeah, the complementary skill set, 100%. Like I remember thinking like, yeah, I am not experienced with large scale like operations of managing, you know, asset management. Like I don't know how to handle, I have 30 tenants at the time. It was like, and I bought an apartment complex and it was going really bad out of state. So it was like my only experience with an out of state investment was not going well. I ended up barely getting out on, you know, like on a break even on that one. And so like you had that experience with a property management company to come in. So what a mistake that a lot of people make when they get into any business, right? Is they find people that are just like them. Yeah. Me and Alex over here are like the same person. I'm way better looking, but we're like the same person. Like we have the exact same skill sets and failures, right? Uh, it's a real problem. It's a real problem. <laughs> Fun to hang out. But it's we can't great get much to done. hang out. Yeah. Uh, but Matt Buck, who is the COO of Better Life, Matt has the opposite skill set of, of both of us. He's super organized. Stetson too. Stetson, super organized operations. We're like, let's less go have Alex's, fun. Less Alex's, yeah, yeah. more Stetson's. <laughs> yeah, less Alex's, more. So the encouragement I have for people is, yeah, don't look for people who are like you and that you like. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that you don't like, like, I don't want to work with people I don't like. That's literally one right. of my requirements is if I can't go grab a beer with someone or whatever, like that's, I'm not going to work with them. But I don't look for that as the primary thing. So yeah, you and I had complementary skill sets. The second thing you mentioned is, yeah, entrepreneurship is a lonely road. Like it's like playing tennis by yourself, like against a brick wall. It's like, oh, yeah, this is great. I'm getting real good at my swing. But what's the fun in that? All day long now, I would play pickleball with four people over tennis by myself. Why? Because there's people like it's fun. We had a lot of fun, especially in the beginning. Like when you look back at kind of like how we started and like being in the pile in the back of Ryan's van and like, there's so many of these stories or, yeah. you know, when we came up with the idea for uh, writing the multifamily millionaire books uh, on the side of the mountain, going to go bike down the mountain. Like we had a lot of, and we still do. We have a lot of cool experiences. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Doing it together. And if that means you are forced to have a larger business then to be able to cover for it. Well, great. Just think bigger, yeah. right? We're, like, we're not going to buy a million dollar of real estate, we're gonna buy 50 million. Yeah. And then we didn't buy 50 million, we bought 300 million and now we're at almost a billion. Yeah, yeah, and that's it, very quickly, both of our goals got way bigger yeah, yeah. once we joined forces. Yes. You know, I think your original vision was, yeah, it was 50, 50 million. 50 yep. million. Yeah. yeah, and now we're headed for yeah, hopefully 10, yeah, 10, 10, billion. 10 billion. So yeah, uh, yeah it's a much bigger, yeah. much <laughs> bigger much pie. Bigger. <laughs> the other thing that I think is interesting, and I don't know where to even take the conversation on this topic, but I'll bring it up, is in partnerships, money like does change people. You mm-hmm. and I have had half a dozen negotiations call it over the last five years when it comes to equity mm-hmm. ownership and roles and we've gotten through every one of those i feel like stronger friends than we were before that yeah. almost never happens in companies and yeah. I, i'm curious why do you think that is like why have we had these conversations over and over and the, and the reason why we have them over and over just to be clear is like you know your roles changed my roles changed we both kind of elevated to a board position done less day to day but also we brought in a whole lot more people and we didn't know what we were doing in the beginning yeah so equity was just weird in the beginning 
Yeah. And now for the last few years, we've been pretty stable, but we had to give equity to employees and to our, our VPs. And yeah. anyway, so why did we emerge stronger through that where most companies, or at least I, I actually say most, they do not exit a company, not that we exit, but they do not survive friendship in a company. Yeah, I, I think probably the simple answer is to go back and say, we have very similar values. And I think you and I have things that are way more important to each of us than money. Yeah. Yeah. And so we had some very, we were also very frank with each other, mm -hmm. I think. I think that probably the more challenging equity situations weren't even between you and I, it was probably other yeah. other team members, I yeah. think maybe. But I think that's always an issue. You know, equity is something that can cause rifts, like can tear people apart for yeah. sure. But I think it helps that you and I both think bigger in terms of like what, we want out of life and what we're looking to get out of something like this. And I think it was pretty clear that there were different points where you could have kept more equity for sure. And I think you reached a decision that there's things that are more important to you than that. And you also talk a lot about how you want to bring a lot of people with you on this journey and make a difference in a lot of lives. And I'm very much on board mm -hmm. with that. And I'm not in it for the money at all at this point. I have enough to walk away. And I that, really value- case, Alex is taking your equity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I really value the relationships, you know, and I value the, you know, I invested a lot of myself into the executive team, yeah. mentoring them. And I feel like I've got a lot personally at stake in terms of just how much I care like about the company now and how much I care about the founders, the executive team and all the employees. Because once you invest a lot of yourself into something, that really drives me. So for instance, when I step back from my more day-to-day -day roles and serve much more in an advisory capacity and I recognize that, hey, I'm not gonna be burning the candle on both ends as much anymore. Like I just voluntarily stepped up and was like, hey, Brandon, like I'm gonna give up a chunk of equity because that seems like what's fair. Yeah. And I can do that because I'm not, like money isn't my yeah. big motivator. I'm not gonna be like, well, this was what we agreed and I'm sticking yeah. to it. Like yeah. I, and so I think it just makes things a lot easier when like neither you nor I like would take it personally and like, and we're not greedy people. Like I think you and I yeah. both are probably could be considered overly generous at times. <laughs> yeah. And maybe they need, yeah, need, fault, need maybe. people to look out for us yeah. at times and be like- uh, <laughs> Alex is overly you know. nodding. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody so, gets everything for free. Yeah, 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 yeah. Give it all away for free. So I feel yeah. like, yeah, I, I agree. Like I can never recall it being like to the point of like, oh, I'm so upset with Brandon or yeah. like it's just, we sidestepped a lot of things that, you know, as like the two biggest co-founders that we, yeah. we sidestepped with the landmines that a lot of people hit. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, when, when Bigger Pockets sold years ago, a lot of people don't even know that it sold, but was, you know, Josh sold a significant amount to private equity. Somebody told me some advice in the beginning of that. And they said, no executive team emerges from a sale of a company as friends. It's never happened, never will. And they're like, you will lose your friendship with Josh. And uh, yeah, there were times where like, it was hard and it was, we went through challenging stuff, but I just always went back to that advice of like, no, I'm gonna prove this wrong. And Josh did too, and Josh and I fought to stay friends like we fought we had to actively fight to stay friends through the process of a year-long hell of trying to sell a company i mean the testament josh moved to maui like a year after selling the company and uh, now we're neighbors and you know we, we don't hang out as much as we used to maybe but 
because he's just got, we're both got little kids and we're in that phase of life right now, but like, we're still good friends. And the same thing with you and I, and I think that, that, yeah, you have to fight to stay close with people, I think too. And if that means like getting involved in their personal life or checking up on them or making sure we hit those calls, like we have a board call every other week and like we're on those calls and we're, yeah. So encouragement to people is yeah, don't be greedy and yeah. like make it personal in a good way. Like you have to yeah. fight for relationships. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. agree. Appreciate you, man. All right. I got a bunch of other questions here. We got a lot to get to. I want to get to your new book as well. Why don't we fast forward a little bit? Mm-hmm. You know, we'll skip through Multifamily Millionaire, which we wrote two books together. Uh, you wrote primarily the second, I wrote the first. But we'll kind of bypass through that. People should buy the book at biggerpockets.com slash store, I think. I don't know. You can Google it. Amazon has it too. The Multifamily Millionaire, volume one and two. One's more for smaller multi. Two, uh, volume two is more for larger. Let's skip that. And I'm going to skip the next few years of your career and go into <laughs> you recently wrote a new book and it's coming out anytime now. Yeah. What's the book called and why did you write it? The book is called Welcome to My Garden, A Father's Gift of Reflections, Life Lessons, and Advice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like a real estate book. It's not a real estate book. <laughs> so this book goes back a couple of years and uh, I think... A lot of parents could probably relate to this, but my kids are getting older. They're young adults now. My youngest is a a senior in high school. And I reflect back on my life and I I realize how much I've learned and I realize how different of a person I am now than I was even five years ago. And I have a lot of regrets because I wish I knew the things I know now when I was younger and not just for myself, but so that I could could have been a better father. Mm. And so... Having those regrets, it's something that kind of weighed on me. And I was like, wow, you know, I've, I've learned so much. I've made so many mistakes. I'd like to share that with the kids and I need to do a better job of that. As I tried to figure out what to do about that, I went on a, a trip to Nepal last year. I spent three weeks in Nepal. I did a trek to uh, Mount Everest base camp and it turned out to be like this incredibly powerful trip. It was a very spiritual place. I had a lot of time to reflect on my life. I had a lot of time to think about what's next for me. What do I want to do? And I realized on that trip that if I want to share the things I've learned in life with my kids, it's not too late. And I'm very comfortable sharing and writing. Like that's where I can express myself the clearest and the best. And so by the end of that trip, and there were, there were a lot of, you know, we could touch on that later perhaps, but there were a lot of things that happened on that trip. It was a very uh, impactful trip. And, but one of the takeaways when I left Nepal, when I was coming home is I'm going to write a book and I'm going to write it to them. Mm. I didn't know what it was, I was going to call it. I just knew that I had learned a lot of life lessons. I have a lot of regrets. I have a lot of like mistakes that I've made. And I want to teach, I want to share that with them. And so if there were things that I wish I figured out sooner that I could have taught them when they were younger, when they were still in the house, share it now, right? Like, because they could still benefit from it. Because a lot of the lessons I've learned, I could have benefited from in my 40s, let alone all the way, you know, in my 20s. So when I got home, I came back to the United States with this conviction that I am going to write this book. And I immediately started writing to them. And actually it was, wasn't that long after that we had an annual planning session for Open Door Capital in Las Vegas. And I was sharing with some of the executive team members that this was my plan. And I still remember like the reaction of some of them. 
And I remember, I remember Micah, one of our executive team members, he was so moved by what I was doing and he was very interested and he expressed it and he said, you know, I just can't imagine like for someone, for their father to do a gesture like this. And he, and he was like, I know, I know that this is intended for them, but if it's possible, I would love to be able to read it because I feel like I could learn something from that. As people began, became aware of this project that I was doing, I got more and more requests from people that know me and even people who are older than me who said, I think I could learn, like, I'd love to know what you're going to share. And so I thought about that. It was a little unnerving, I have to say, because the book, I had already started writing it and I already knew that there were going to be, there's going to be a lot of very personal things in there because I illustrate the lessons that I impart with personal stories. And a lot of them are things that I'm embarrassed about or things that, you know, didn't go the way I wanted to go. And they're not necessarily what I would choose to put out there to, to paint the picture of me. Some of it's not very favorable, but, you know, as the book came together and some of the lessons that were imparted in there, and, and a lot of them had to do with helping others and, and expressing gratitude and all the different principles that I'm promoting in the book. And I recognized that I could listen to my fears and my self-consciousness about sharing things that are vulnerable with the world, but that's not going to help anybody. If there's somebody out there that could be impacted by something that I share in a positive way, I felt like it was incumbent upon me to do that. And so I was about, when the manuscript was nearing completion, that's when I said, all right, now I need to really decide, am I going to publish this or not? And in the end, I decided I would do that. I elected not to take it to any publishers. I'm going to self-publish it. Should be available by the time this podcast comes out. But yeah, it's been an amazing experience. It's been something that is super meaningful for me. And it's uh, something that I hope will make a positive impact, not just for my kids, but for anyone else who, who, who reads it. Beautiful, man. Where did the name Welcome to My Garden come from? So... In the opening letter to the kids, I just expressed that, that I have made a lot of mistakes in my life and that mistakes are like seeds that can be planted in and you can grow a garden of wisdom from. Mm -hmm. And I use that analogy of a garden, comparing it to life and all the different things of, of how a, a garden relates to your life. And then I close the opening letter by saying, welcome to my garden. When I wrote that letter, I didn't have a title at the time. And I shared that letter with a friend who read it and they circled that, mm -hmm. welcome to my garden. And they were like, that's beautiful. Like you should put that as a title. Yeah, and that's, very cool. so chose that as the title. Awesome. And available on Amazon, I'm assuming? Yeah. You do an yeah. audio, audio book too, or just the physical? Yes. Fancy. Are you recording it yourself or do you hire it? You know, that's you the big AI. question, right? Do you know what AI can do that now for you? <laughs> oh my nuts. goodness. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm not, not going to have AI do it. <laughs> I feel like I'm a good reader. I'm not a great reader. Mm. And there's people out there who are far Way more better. talented than me. As much as I would love to read it because it's so personal, I also want to do what's best for the work. And so yeah. at this point, I'm, I'm planning to have someone... Someone right. will narrate it for me. So yeah. So yeah. He, he, this is the this is the future of audiobooks, guaranteed. Because I've been playing with it and I haven't done it yet. But yeah, elevenlabs.com. 
like E-L-E-V-E-N, 11labs.com. You can upload an hour of yourself talking or 10 minutes or 20 minutes of you talking. It learns how you talk and then it will say anything you plug it in to say. Wow. So literally, and it, it's impossible to tell it's not me talking. Like it's almost, it's perfect. Just about perfect. Maybe like my wife might be able to tell. So where we're headed in a world is audiobook narrators are out in the next two years. Like it'll just be, you upload the script and then it just pumps out the audiobook. In fact, Audible will probably just buy the software and be like, oh yeah, from now on, we just, every book is now an audio audiobook, which is wild. So and yeah. people wouldn't know. Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I kind of, I feel like you lose a little of the soul. I and agree. So like agree. if it, I'm skeptical as to whether it would resonate as well with a reader than if it were actually read. AI so. is going to make you think it has a soul and then you're, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to know. All right. I've got a million things we could talk about. So I thought maybe we do kind of a section here, kind of a fire round, fire round sort of section here with a bunch of questions that I'm sure. going to throw at you. I want to start with a little segment that we call fill in the blank. So I'm going to say a line. I want you to just repeat after what I, repeat what I say and then fill in the blank that comes after. The solution to most of your life's problems is blank. The solution to most of your life's problems is to stay present. I think that we touched on this earlier, but happiness is derived from being in the moment. And I think that most of our anxieties and most of our worries come from ruminating on the past or focusing too much on the future instead of the beauty of what's right in front of us right in the moment. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. If you wanna make millions in real estate, blank. If you want to make millions in real estate, be prepared to pay your dues. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, I think real estate, unfortunately, it just attracts so many people who are catering to that desire for the shortcut. Yeah, you know, they want the the quick million. They want to figure out how do I buy with no cash. They want to figure out how can I do this with no work. I want someone else to do it all. Yeah. And that's not reality. Real estate's a business like any other. And you know, if you do it passively, it's the same as you're investing in a, any other security like a stock. But if you're gonna actually do it um, yourself and you're gonna actually do it as an, as an active investment, it's, it takes work. Yeah, it really does. So. New real estate investors all seem to make the same mistake, blank. <laughs> <laughs> I think new real estate investors all tend to think that it's going to be very straightforward and it's going to be easy and they're not going to have setbacks. Mm -hmm. And I, they always seem surprised and dismayed when they do. I think that when you go into real estate investing, you do it with eyes wide open and you expect mistakes and you expect things to go wrong. And you, yeah. when you underwrite, you put contingencies in knowing that's going to happen. And that's one thing I tell new real estate investors all the time is, there's really only one certainty when you invest in, in a property and that's that something that you're not expecting is gonna go wrong. Yeah, That's what you can be certain of. I once heard a quote that said something along the lines of happiness is managing expectations. In other words, like all happiness or lack thereof unhappiness is a result of either meeting or not meeting expectations. So mm -hmm. if you have a conversation the other day with a buddy who's having some real estate trouble and he's like, the problem is I'm so anxiety ridden because I still think there might be hope that this is going to work out. But if you just knew it wasn't going to work out, it's like, oh yeah, you're going to lose it. You're going to get foreclosed on. It's going to be bankrupt. Then you'd be like, oh yeah, well, I guess that's it. Like I, now I know that's going to be there because the expectations or to go to the extreme, like you don't expect someone to cheat on you. So if you, but if you totally expected that, that was a normal part of your relationship, you had an open relationship, then it wouldn't be weird unless you really didn't expect, right? So happiness is so, and it's not a hundred percent, but so much of it is based on expectations. So when you expect to have problems yeah. and struggle and fall behind and be anxiety ridden, then maybe it's not so bad when you're in it. Cause you're like, oh yeah, no, this is what it's supposed to be. 
Like yeah. I expected this. That's right. And if you can embrace that yeah. and accept that, it allows you to really savor when things go really well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think it, it brightens the upside at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Next fill in the blank. The key to running 50 plus miles is... The key to running 50 plus miles is insanity. (laughs) (laughs) Multiple times you've done this. So, yeah. um, I think that the key is, it really is mindset and it's it's believing that you can. Mm. And none of us believe that we can do things until we actually do them. And so that's been my journey with ultra running is constantly doing something that I don't think I can do, but then I try it and I actually realize I can do it. And then I'm convinced I couldn't do more than that. And then I make myself try it because who knows, maybe I could because I was wrong last time. And then, you know, and on it goes. So how have you maintained fairly an injury free, at least from my perspective, an injury free running career? Like a lot of runners get hurt a lot. It's like a normal thing, but I've never seen you out for months at a time on an injury. Uh, it's been a while, but I have had, I did have actually one prolonged, pretty serious injury. Running was a big part of how I transitioned from being in that terribly unhealthy state when I had to walk away from that tech company and I was 50 pounds overweight. Mm-hmm. I decided to go out for a run and turn things around and I got about a quarter mile in and I, I thought my chest was going <laughs> to burst, right? I was just like, couldn't breathe, right? And I started to walk and then I started to alternate walking and running and just over time, just built up, built up, built up, slowly lost the weight, ate better, made some changes in habits that helped. And eventually was running marathons. I would started running road marathons. I've run about 15 of those, but eventually I reached a point I had terrible, terrible back problems. For almost a year, I slept flat on my back on the floor. Didn't think I was gonna be able to run again. Had doctors tell me I couldn't run anymore and that it was something that all I could do was just do pain management approaches. But I eventually found someone who referred me to a running clinic with a physical therapist who specialized in running injuries, went through rehab, started running again. And right around that time, I found trails. And trails were a solution to a lot of problems for me. So by running on trails, first of all, I love being in the woods. I love being out in nature. I love going out and it's very peaceful for me. It's very relaxing, but also from a physical standpoint, there's a big difference between running on flat ground and that's paved where you're, you're pounding and the repetition and you're using very specific muscles again and again and again. You're much more liable to injure yourself that way than if you go out on a trail where you're, you're engaging all kinds of muscles, you're keeping your balance, you're, you're constantly like moving in ways to like navigate rocks and roots and everything else that's on the trail. And so what I realized was as I went further and further on the trails, I was not having the aches and pains that I got when I was on pavement on the road. And so not only was it more relaxing and therapeutic to be out in nature and running, but it also helped me to be able to run further and not have injury-related issues. So I attribute being on trails to be a big part of that. Yeah, I love, I've not done a lot of trail running. We don't have a lot of places in Maui to do it. 
Uh, but right before moving to Maui, I got really into trail running for a, a summer and it's so much more fun. Cause yeah, your, your brain's yeah. operating in a different wavelength process. Cause you're analyzing 15 things at once. Like, okay, there's a rock there. The person there got to move over here. It's different. You're, yeah. Yeah. It's like surfing. Like in that, yeah. like you're, it's more peaceful. Focused. Yeah. You know, when peaceful. you're, when you're running on a road, a lot of people, you get really hung up on the watch. Yeah. You're constantly looking yep. at your 100%. pace. You're like, Oh, how far exactly did I go? When I run on trails, oftentimes I'm just running for a period of time. I'm like, I have to go run for an hour or two or three and i don't care about my pace not looking at my watch you know if it's really steep i'll power hike up a hill and i'm just taking my time and i'm really you know we talk about being present that's an opportunity to be very present be engaged with the world around me and you have to be focused when you're trail running because if you're not you'll end up falling on your face and you'll trip and fall so you have to be engaged with what's your your surroundings i think the mental benefits are just as good as the physical so i'm a newer dad i mean i've got a seven-year-old and a three-year-old you've had kids now you've raised and now they're out of the house what advice do you have for me as a father something that you maybe would have done differently or a lesson that i could take and apply to my parenting that's tricky business right (laughs) i think i mean you know, having spent time with you when you're around your kids, I, I don't judge at all. Like I feel like, I mean, I guess it is a judgment to say you're a great dad. I mean, you're very attentive and you're very caring and loving for your kids and that's all that they care about. If I were to look back, there's things that maybe I took for granted in terms of how I conduct myself or how I do things or my philosophies on life that I maybe don't, like I assume that they know or they pick up, but I don't vocalize or I don't maybe introduce it in language or examples that they can relate to. And I think I would have done maybe some more of that, but kids are so perceptive. I mean, they pick up on 10 times more than most of us give them credit for. And so as much as I say that, they probably picked up on (laughs) too much probably. (laughs) So. All right, man. I love it. Well, thank you for that. Now we're going to pivot here into the next segment of the show, which I call the three, two, one pivot. So this is all about books, people, and a quote that changed your life. So we're going to start with three books that helped your life pivot in a more positive direction. Okay. Probably the biggest pivot for me over the last few years has been toward spiritual growth. Okay. And I think one of the books that stands out as one of the earlier ones I read is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. That's a very powerful book if someone's interested in spirituality it's a great place to start it introduces some concepts that were new to me at the time but definitely emphasizes the importance of mindfulness but also really introduces this idea of that we are not the voices in our head we are not the thoughts in our head we're the observer of those thoughts Mm. and that was a concept that was new to me that was introduced in that book and it's also one of the primary points in the untethered soul uh, michael singer I would say that was a very thought-provoking book that some of the concepts have really stayed with me. And uh, in fact, I was just thinking I need to go back and reread that one again. And you know, the, the books that have a meaningful impact on me, I always go back and reread them. And that, yeah. that was one of them. Another book that had a huge impact on me is Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty. And you can tell it had a good big impact on me because if you, if you were to take my copy and open it up and flip through it, you'd see that like, 90% of it's underlined. Mm. Like it's just full of underlines. And what was great about that book is it it had a lot of principles in there that just really resonated with me. And sometimes you read a book where there's principles that you embody or that that you feel right, but maybe you didn't 
put the words to yourself and when you're reading the book it expresses them and you're like yeah that's it you know yeah. that's that's what I, how i've been trying to do things or that i just love the stuff that's in that book i haven't read it I'll, yeah I'll jay shetty uh he was a a monk a hindu monk actually so he relates everything in there to his experience and his training as a monk and i i love that book it's really helpful and then for the third one i'll give one that's much more recent and that would be Loving What Is by Byron Katie. Byron Katie is an amazing person. I was not familiar with her. I've read two of her books now. And she's a woman who her life was nothing short of a train wreck. And she hit rock bottom. And then she had an epiphany and her life completely changed. And that was in, I believe, the mid to late 1980s. And ever since she's been sharing what she's learned with followers and through her books and through seminars. And she basically, she's a lover of what is, and that's her key to happiness that she shares with people. It's, she has something that she calls the work where she encourages you to take the thoughts and beliefs that you have and apply questions to them. That inquiry is designed to help you to think about things differently and see things as they really are. And in, in her position is that stress and unhappiness in our life, it comes from wanting things to be different than they actually are. And that if you can, you know, she has certain questions that she'll lead you through to follow. There's four questions and then a follow-up where you can take a person that you're upset with or a belief or something that's really bothering you and write it down, subject it to that inquiry, do the work, and then that will relieve you of those stresses. And it's, awesome. it's quite fascinating. Man, three of those books I have not read. I love new book recommendations. So I haven't read Power Now, haven't read Think Like a Monk, or Loving What Is. So there you I go. New books for my list. <laughs> All right. I know you and I share books a lot, so yeah, it's, it's always yeah. going to be new ones. It's tough to match. Uh, you, you've given me some great ones, so hopefully you enjoy these. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Uh, two pivot people, people who have changed the direction in your life. You know, when I think back, I've had in my life this terrible like pattern of feeling like I need to do everything alone or by myself. And so if I reflect back, there's actually, I don't have these like, I never had a mentor. I don't have like these people in my life that pop to mind as like, wow, that was a person who made a huge difference in my life. And actually, when you say two people, like the first thing that pops to mind is you and Ryan. Mm. Like, just because that was just a huge, like, impactful change for me, you know, it took me from someone who had no trust in partnerships and working with other people. And I went completely against that. And you guys made me comfortable doing that. And it's worked out well. And I've found that since that time, I've definitely opened myself up more to relationships and working with others. And so I think that was pivotal and grateful to, to you and Ryan for that. Well, thanks. I love it. Number uh, three on that one is one quote that's a pivot quote that's changed your life. There's a quote by Buddha that is, be where you are or your life will pass you by. Mm. And I think that that quote is meaningful to me because that's one of the core principles that I try to embody in my life now as I want to be fully present wherever I am. Yeah. Do you meditate, I'm assuming, in, in that world of yes. meditation, mindfulness, all that? I was meditating, but I was not doing it in a as structured of a way and I would use apps for that. But then there were several people on my trip to Nepal who meditated and they were doing 
transcendental meditation, which, which people call TM, transcendental meditation. That's an international organization that you can sign up for training and, and learn how to do transcendental meditation. So in January of this year, I went and learned transcendental meditation. And it's a commitment of two 20-minute periods one each day one in the morning and one later in the day. And yeah, I've been doing that ever since. And it's been great. It's been impactful. And What's the difference between normal meditation and that? There's all kinds of variations on meditation. Transcendental meditation is super interesting because even though it's rooted in like ancient religious traditions, it's actually Maharishi Yogi, who was the one who introduced it to the West. He's credited with bringing meditation to the West. He was the guru for the Beatles. And so mm. he got a lot of fame from that. It's actually rooted very much in like scientific research, which appeals more to people from the West than the yeah. religious aspect. And so when you learn it and you go through the courses, they teach the, like the science behind it as well. And that's made it really popular, but it's also very simple and easy to implement. And it's a good option for someone like me who has trouble meditating because my mind is constantly going a thousand miles an hour. It's really hard to slow it down. And it's still a challenge, but I've gotten way better. But what you do with transcendental meditation is your instructor gives you a mantra and the mantra doesn't have any specific meaning. It's more like a sound that you will repeat. And for 20 minutes, you're just in your head, you're repeating that mantra. And that allows you to sort of let your other thoughts go, pass through you and bring you a sense of peace and calmness. And it's definitely been impactful for me. And I'll notice like if I miss one or two of my sessions, I'll notice a difference and I'll, I'll feel like, hey, I need, to, I need to meditate. So it's been a positive difference in my life, so. Cool, man. Next yeah. segment. Past, present, future. First, you kind of covered this one already, but maybe you have a good summary uh, line. What is your advice to your younger self? Read my book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, right yeah, learn all the answers before you have to live them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I think that I was so full of fire and drive in my 20s and 30s and, and even beyond, but it was all focused externally. My advice to myself would be, Take some of that fire, take some of that rigor and like turn it inward. Work on yourself, do the work, figure out that you're not going to get the results that you think from all these things in the external world, all these superficial accomplishments. Work on yourself, learn about yourself, know yourself and be yourself. You know, I don't know if that's one recommendation myself or like six, but I yeah, there it. you go. <laughs> I love it. What is something you've done in the past 12 months that's given you a better life? Definitely the TM made a big impact. Moving on to my ranch has been a nice move for me. I think it was good in terms of where I'm at in my life. It was a healthy thing for me to do. Comes with a whole host of new responsibilities, but yeah, I think it's been, I think it's been, it's been good. And, and frankly, this book project, you know, writing Welcome to My Garden has been super rewarding, super fulfilling, become a, you know, it was a big part of my everyday work for the last 12 months. I'm really proud of that. And it's time to think about the next project. So very cool. And last of this segment, what do you want your legacy to be? Meaning when you pass away someday and people are talking about you, oh yeah, Brian Murray, he, what are they saying? I don't think I want them to think of something grand or big. I mostly want to 
make a positive impact on as many people as I can, like touch people's lives in a positive way and make a difference, especially the people who I love and are important to me. I want people to feel like, you know, because our paths crossed or I was in their life that they, things were better for them. I touched them in some positive way and, you know, be looked at as a kind and generous person. Beautiful. All right. The final question. This is uh, questions. This is the wrap up. First of all, what are you excited about? I think uh, the book, obviously what's coming up in your life. Yeah, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm super excited about the book. You know, you put in that much time and effort. It's another one of those examples. Like you recognize that, Hey, there was so much fulfillment in the act of writing it mm -hmm. that when it comes out, it's almost anticlimactic, yeah. you know? And I've realized I that, that every time I, I write a book, yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, it's, it's out and almost what? every goal, yeah. right? People think, Oh, you know, you get to the yeah. top of the mountain and yeah. you're all like happy. But actually when you look back, you're like, no, it was the journey to get there. Yeah. That was great. We close on properties now over to capital. It's like, Hey, we close on that. $40 million property. I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah. What's for lunch? Like, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's not. Uh, the work was what was fun to get there. Yeah. And we, now the work just begins too. It's like, yeah. I spoke at the Bigger Pockets conference. And just to illustrate that, I shared that in January of this year, I got a text from my executive assistant, Cody. And he sent me a text and he said, hey, I'm updating your real estate portfolio. And the value just went over a billion dollars. Mm. And I didn't even know what to say to that. I was just, I was just like, I actually, when I responded, I said, huh, huh. <laughs> that was my answer. Huh? Like, I, and I realized it was, yeah. it didn't mean anything to yeah. me. It was a number. After. Yep. Yeah. It didn't change anything. You know, I was still dealing with the things in my life that are the same challenges, nothing changed. And I just, it didn't mean anything. And maybe that's wrong, but it just, and so thinking back on that, it really was like, yeah, it's the journey. Like it's all about the journey. And so I'm not as excited about what's next because I don't really know what's next. I do find that I love to write. I feel like that is one of my ways I can share things and make a difference in people's lives. And so I'm committed to continuing to write. And so I will probably what's next would be figure out my next writing project and jump right in before yeah. I get too comfortable. Before you lose momentum. Yeah. All right. And where can people best connect with you at? Where can they find you? Yeah, I'm on social media. I'm not on as much as I used to be, or some people are, but uh, I'm still, you know, check messages periodically on both LinkedIn and Instagram at crushing it, Brian on Instagram. And I'm going to change it to Gardner, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I might. I might. That's good. I'll have to see if that's taken. <laughs> it's probably taken. All right. Crushing it, Brian. Thank you, man. This has been amazing. As always, I just get a lot of wisdom talking to you every single time. You know, one thing I didn't mention earlier, and I'll, I'll close with this, is people have asked me over the years, like, what are different roles are at Open Door Capital? What's Ryan do? What does, you know, Walker do? What do I do? What does Brian do? And although your role has changed throughout the years, you, you know, kind of started as large, largely asset management, and you've then been Walker's kind of like, you know, getting him in, into a leadership role. And you've done a number of things, but overarching what you've always been and what I always preach to people that they need on their team is the mentor of the team. And there's mentors that you pay for. There's mentors that you just the guy you take out the coffee once in a while. But then there's the internal mentor, the person who's already walked a huge piece of what I've done. And that has given us confidence. We would not be anywhere near where we are today without you. We would not be even close to where we are today without you. So I just want to say thank you for being that mentor internally. It's been awesome. Oh, thank you so much. And I mean, you've done so much for me and, and we couldn't have done this without you too. And I appreciate you so much. I love you, brother. I love you, man. Thank you. 
And that is the show. Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of A Better Life with Brandon Turner. I hope you enjoyed the insights and the wisdom uh, brought to you today on this show. If you found value in this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, Your feedback actually does help us improve the show. We look at the feedback, I look at the feedback, and we can reach more people with our message of living a better life. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow me on social, Beardy Brandon. And hey, before I go, this show is all about the habits, actions, and beliefs that can give you a better life. But in case you're interested and you want to know my opinion on what it takes to live the best life ever, and that includes some of my kind of weird spiritual beliefs maybe, check out abetterlife.com slash bestlife, abetterlife.com slash bestlife. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time on A Better Life with Brandon Turner.